Hi everybody. I wanted to do an update uh, to Friday's podcast on the coronavirus, the particular strain, the COVID-19, they're now calling it. Now, keep in mind, coronaviruses aren't new. Like SARS was a coronavirus. MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory uh, Syndrome, was also a coronavirus. Uh, so we've been familiar with coronaviruses for some time. This COVID-19 is just a new strain. Uh, and it's like the flu. We use the term influenza or the flu to refer to a family of viruses that are are all really are all the flu but there's different strains of the flu so there's a swine flu avian flu they usually have names uh, like h h1n1 is the swine flu uh i think there's an h7 uh which is actually incredibly deadly but luckily it doesn't transmit uh person to person very easily at all i think there's also an h8 uh, which is also incredibly deadly, but it doesn't transfer person to person very well. Um, uh, there's like H3N8, uh, which I think is one of the strains this year that the vaccine was created for. So it's like that. So, so the coronaviruses, there's many different varieties of them, and they're usually contained to animal species, but sometimes through some intermediary, they make the jump to humans. And this coronavirus isn't as deadly as SARS or MERS uh, per se, but its transmission rate is much higher. And again, it, it, it's still hard to assess the trans transmission rate. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna add quite a few links to the original podcast because a lot of people are asking where I got my information from. Uh, most of it comes from the World Health Organization's uh, data collection centers and the CDC's collect data collection center. So none of this is mysterious information that I made up or that can't be validated. Uh, and, and again, in China, it's really hard to know what the transmission rate is uh, because they tried to suppress information about it for so long before really doing doing much. Even uh, the first doctor, I, unfortunately I don't have his name up, but the first Chinese doctor who tried to make public announcements in China about COVID-19, the corona, this current coronavirus, and its potential threat, uh, he was silenced by the Chinese government, and he actually ended up dying of the coronavirus. So, and, and this was back in December. He was trying to warn the Chinese public and he was silenced, which is what caused so many cases to be addressed at once. And the problem is we just, we don't know what the transmission rate was because of that government crackdown on admitting that there was any type of disease or any type of problem. And I'm going to come back to this because this is a really important point everybody should care about. Uh, with our current administration and you can be a fan of a president or an administration without agreeing with every single action that they commit it's very important and it's very important for any democracy you have to be willing so i have a lot of friends that are staunch republicans and are staunch trump supporters 
And honestly, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I also, by maintaining my friendship with them because they're willing to talk about the things that they disagree with that President Trump has done and also why they still continue to support him. And I'm willing to talk about why I don't support him and also the things that he's done that are good. Like He's actually made some really good policy. He's... He's made some good policies, even though I cannot vouch for his decision-making process. He did make, he's made some good policy changes. Um, and everybody should be able to do this. Like that, It's kind of a key for the democracy. You can completely be a staunch whoever supporter, but you still need to be able to criticize when they do something that is demonstrably wrong. And I'm not talking about anything related to the impeachment hearings or whatever. You know, that's still some somewhat subjective how that needs to be interpreted. But there are some things that we know historically will cause major problems. And that's why I want to come back with China's refusal to admit that the coronavirus is a problem, which caused the massive outbreak that they have. And it's caused the spread of it throughout the international community because they refuse to address it. Um people were able to carry it to other countries readily and it's the 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 wubei province which is quite active part of china for manufacturing for travel um all of that so so it was kind of a disaster so anyway back to the virus uh coronavirus no matter where you looked this weekend it was everywhere uh, political commentary shows, uh, political comedy shows uh, on every news network. And one of the big triggers for this new kind of amped up fright is what I would call it, anxiety, is he had the first case of a death in the United States from the coronavirus uh, over the weekend. It was a 55-year-old woman in Washington state. And you know, keep in mind she was older and she had complications from other metabolic diseases that we've talked about. So she fits in line, unfortunately, uh, for her and and really unfortunately for her family who, you know, my condolences for their loss. Um, but she she fits in she fit into that really high risk category of 10 percent and higher death rates from coronavirus now it's still like nothing really has radically changed over the weekend uh what has radically changed is there was a death in the united states and that has caused a massive media freak out and whether you like last week tonight with john oliver or not he actually did a good job this week of presenting a pretty balanced view of the coronavirus and how worried you should be which is a little i mean it's it's a pandemic whether authorities are willing to call it that yet or not it is a pandemic it has been spread across the world it's in like over 40 countries now uh, several countries have experienced deaths from the coronavirus it it is a pandemic that's uh, just the fact of the matter but again it's still not as impactful as the flu has been this year. I think the total flu flu season deaths in the United States for this flu season, so the tail end of 2019, like December, 
January, February, we're up to 16,000 deaths. And uh, we're expected anywhere from 16,000 to 48,000 deaths this year for the flu. Keep that in mind. The, the flu is actually pretty dangerous. Even though the mortality risk is low, it infects tens of millions of people, usually anywhere from 4 million to 50 million Americans a year. That's why it has so many casualties per year. Uh, and, and the coronavirus, because it's a pandemic, and even in younger people, it has a mortality rate equivalent to the flu, we're going to see some casualties, unfortunately, and they, they will be rare. And there's so much attention on this. Hopefully, it helps to contain the spread of the coronavirus. And in the last podcast, the last kind of uh, news, I guess this is a newsworthy podcast, I didn't really explain, A, how you can try to prevent catching the coronavirus, how you can prevent the spread of the coronavirus, and if you happen to be afflicted with it, how you can mitigate the dangers. And those are three very important topics, and everybody's pretty much talking about how how not to catch it, Uh, which I think is very misleading because one problem is the vast majority of people who get this virus are going to have mild symptoms. One problem with that is if you have mild symptoms, then you're more likely to spread it to other people because you still feel well enough to go out. And usually the symptoms will be worse at night when you're sleeping. Uh, That's when you might have some trouble breathing, uh, as the body, as the rest of the body slows down, the immune system actually ramps up and you'll develop some more phlegm in the lungs and you could have a little trouble breathing at night. So your symptoms will be worse at night when you're trying to sleep, which then during the day when you're active, you feel better and you'll be out and about. And if it's a mild case, you're going, you have the potential to spread it. So first I want to talk about how to attempt to not catch the coronavirus. We know that for person-to-person spread, like you need to, it needs to be introduced basically to mucous membranes, and that means anywhere in the nose or mouth. So if you ingest the coronavirus on some contaminated food, you will catch it. Uh, if somebody sneezes on you or you inhale some of those microscopic mucus particles when somebody does sneeze. If you inhale those, you're going to catch it. Uh, If you have touched a contaminated surface and you pick your nose, you're going to catch it. Uh, And we'll leave it with there. There's uh, there's other orifices of the body that it could be introduced through, but I'm going to assume that those are the least likely. So those are how you can catch it. So being within six feet of a person usually is you're inside the transmission zone, a likely transmission zone. And as far as we know, it's not airborne other than on microscopic mucus particles from when somebody sneezes. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at on transmissibility. And it seems to take hold pretty, pretty, it's pretty uh, robust uh, for the introduction and infection rate. That's That's why it's spreading so fast. Uh, is spreading pretty fast. Now, if you have it, whether you have it or not, whether you have any, it, so now I want to talk about trying to limit 
the spread of the coronavirus. And unfortunately, I haven't heard this talked about very much. And it's really unfortunate because this is where you could really cut down on the mortality. So, for example, I talked about those surgical masks that people wear. They will not. They are, it's very dubious as to their efficacy in preventing you from getting any kind of virus, the flu, uh, coronavirus, whatever. It, they're very dubious. They're used primarily in settings where any kind of potential infection won't be introduced from the person wearing the mask to someone else. That's why, that's why they're surgical masks. Surgeons wear them so that in case they have some unknown pathogen, they don't breathe it out into somebody whose innards are cut open. You know, that's the purpose of the surgical mask. It's to prevent you from spreading whatever disease you might have. So in that instance, if you have any symptomology whatsoever of anything, I don't care if it feels like a cold, or if it feels like the flu, if it feels like bronchitis, if it's the coronavirus, that is, in this instance, that is when you'd want to wear a surgical mask. It's to prevent anyone else from getting this. Uh, disease and and that should that would be true of anything influenza if you have the flu and you need to go out and then you should be wearing a surgical mask i mean you should take all the precautions for any virus that you would be taking for the coronavirus so that's how you could significantly decrease the spread and by that token you know washing your hands it's very important soap and water that will prevent the spread and also that per, that lowers your chances of contracting the virus as well. So those are the things that you can do to help limit the spread. And very, very importantly, and this is an important to remember, one reason mortality rate is so high in, say, a country like China is that their elderly population is still highly ambulatory. And by that, I mean they're still out and about uh, they're walking all day long. They're usually not held up in their apartments, especially in condensed in uh, dense, densely populated provinces and out in further reaches. So their elderly population is out and about, and they are out in the places where this virus was probably originally contracted and easily spread. So you're going to see a higher rate of elderly individuals in China and other countries where the elderly population is more ambulatory because that population is out and about more often. So they have a very high risk of contracting the disease and because of their age, they also have a higher risk of death. So these high, that's, that's one reason why diseases that usually start in less developed areas and not less developed countries as a whole, but less developed areas where they have these open air markets and uh, people are packed in there and there's could be all kinds of exotic goods there could be live animals dead animals everything that's why mortality rates are so high initially because in those places where these diseases first take hold and get spread you usually have a highly ambulatory older population and unfortunately that means a much higher infection rate amongst them which means a much higher mortality rate overall that's why I made the, a really important point of the mortality risk breakdown depending on how old you are. Uh, like I said, if you're younger, 
your mortality risk is right right the same as the flu. You have the same risk of dying of the coronavirus as you do the flu. Now, we have to keep that in mind. And that's important for reducing mortality risk in the United States. So if you're sick at all in this climate of a of what is currently a pandemic, if you're sick at all, in the United States, our older population is usually not as ambulatory. They usually stay inside more often. Uh, there's nursing homes and older retirement centers where the people often don't leave those centers or they leave them in organized trips once a week, usually not more. And that means that the virus will have to be introduced into that community from somebody. So if you are at all in any way ill in this pandemic climate, stay away from older populations. So don't go visit your grandparents if they're still alive. Don't visit your parents if they're 60 or older and they're not sick. Stay away. That will help to prevent introducing the coronavirus into those communities and giving it to loved ones who are at a high risk. Now, this should all be common sense. For some reason, I haven't heard any news broadcasts saying this unfortunately i haven't seen it on any youtube videos and you can find it's like every youtube vi video published this weekend was about the coronavirus and it didn't matter what the channel was whether it was a video gaming channel or what like search for coronavirus it's everywhere people are terrified and just to dispel any ideas of that this is some sort of hoax um it's not a hoax you know, this is this is a current pandemic. We need to pay attention to it. Again, it's not incredibly deadly. You should worry to the point of not wanting to spread it to those who have a high risk. That is the most important thing here in this scenario. This pandemic, we can really cut down on the mortality rate if we pay attention to that simple thing and really try our best to avoid introducing it to potentially susceptible uh, populations who have a higher risk of death. Now, what about mitigating the potential fallout if you do catch the coronavirus? Now, in, in previous podcasts, if you've listened to them, I've talked quite a bit about the a AMPK basically nutrient sensing pathway inside of cells that decides on which energy sources are being used and also it triggers the cell to either be catabolic in other words like burning a lot of energy and not creating new structures which is why i said the ketogenic diet which highly activates ampk unfortunately then turns off your ability to grow new muscles significantly now for viral and this is very important because for viral infections, viruses use your body's own basically DNA replicating machinery to make copies of themselves. That should mean that if AMPK is activated, that we are in a position to limit the flu's ability to reproduce because that machinery has been basically 
squelched. It's been quieted down. It's not completely turned off, but it has been muted. So there's not as much anabolic activity going on. And we would limit the flu's ability to, or the virus's ability to reproduce itself because we have ratcheted down our own internal machinery for these anabolic processes. Now that you, you should see where I'm going with this. So in, in, uh, according to my framework, then if you have a viral infection, you should do whatever you can to raise AMPK levels. You can do that through a variety of ways. You can do that through fasting. Uh, if you so choose the, you can do it with a ketogenic diet, ketogenic diet ramps up AMPK and can also then potentially decrease viral load the virus won't be able to reproduce as often now of course that should that should be implied by my framework and i did not know until this this epidemic or this pandemic came up so i actually researched it over this weekend in the last few days and there's actually quite a bit of studies in vivo in animals that show that yes when you activate ampk uh through either ketogenic methods or well hypoxia in some instances or fasting that it does decrease the viral load the the virus cannot reproduce or replicate nearly as readily but it had another effect that i didn't realize and that's the t-cells the t-cells of your immune system which are responsible for combating infections identifying so on and so forth actually ampk being activated actually ramps up t-cell production and activation they become active in that instance so that's one thing they found in animal models that by raising ampk the t-cells also became much more effective at fighting fighting off infections any infection but viral infections especially so if you're worried if you're sick and you're worried about having the virus or you're in an area where you are in potential to be exposed and that's basically any large city any large city i don't care where you are in the world any large city is a much higher risk of exposure so if you're in those areas i mean one easy way to mitigate the symptoms, if you happen to catch the catch the coronavirus, is to be on a ketogenic diet. Um, so those of you who are on my my diet programs, if you feel sick or you know somebody who's sick, I mean you could just avoid eating carbs for a little while longer. Uh, and if you do come down with symptoms, then continue to not eat carbohydrates. In this instance, you're going to mitigate the severity of the disease. And as I think about it more, you know, I want to do more research on this, but that would explain a lot of increased infections in the modern world. Um, you know, our, our incessant ingestion of carbohydrates actually then creates a novel metabolic environment for viruses in particular to flourish within the body and probably really increase the danger of various viruses. And I'm not saying this is a cure-all, um, but but they have looked at this as several different types of, vir- of viruses from the cold virus, the flu virus, even HIV, and it has positive implications for all of those viruses. And 
this this is something that's very easy to do. So so these are the things that you can do. So there's try to avoid catching the coronavirus. So if you're in six feet of somebody, that six feet six foot radius is really going to be hard to avoid. So six feet's about two meters. That is a very difficult um, area to avoid of never being within six uh, six feet two meters of anybody. Uh, if somebody is obviously sick, then you should definitely be cautious. Wash your hands. Unless somebody sneezes in your face, the main route of infection is going to be you introducing it to yourself from your hands. You will pick it up somewhere, somehow, and you will introduce it to one of your mucous membranes either by unfortunately picking your nose, putting your hand in your mouth or around your face when you eat food. Any of those things can introduce the virus. So wash your hands. I think the recommendation is 20, 20, 30 seconds with warm water and soap. Soap is still one of the best cleansing agents out there. Don't use hand sanitizers. Go wash your hands. It's not that difficult. Uh, I feel kind of asinine like I'm some parent telling you to wash your hands, but wash your hands. It's that easy. If you feel yourself getting sick at all, even if it could be allergies, then wear a surgical that is the time to wear a surgical mask not for yourself but for everyone else you can prevent the spread of the disease that way and finally if you feel sick at all also do not go visit any high-risk group so even if you have some sort of family dinner or Easter with your grandparents or parents who are who are older or anybody who's sick with say diabetes just cancel it's worth canceling because if you go and you're sick, you are actually putting them at a, at a one, in ten, 1 in 10 chance. If they catch the virus, they have a 1 in 10 chance of dying. They're a high-risk population. Uh, so anybody who works in a nursing home or retirement center or anything like that, uh, they should, I mean, if they feel sick, they, sh- they shouldn't be at work. Um, if they're worried, then they should wear a surgical mask at work. Uh, it's very important. And then if you do catch the coronavirus, then you should be trying to go as ketogenic as possible until the symptoms subside. And again, most of the time these symptoms are going to be very mild. So you might just think you have a mild cold. Uh, you could even mistake it for allergies. Uh, that's quite possible if it's warm in your area. Like right now, uh, Belgrade is extremely warm. Things are starting to bloom a, a obviously a little bit out of season and there's some allergy issues around here so you may mistake it for allergies when in fact you you could have the the coronavirus so these are the precautions everybody should take and still your level of anxiety and worry should still be muted it should not be very intense you shouldn't be scared to go outside um and what you should, you, you also shouldn't be too terribly scared of the stock market dropping. I mean, it's like $6 trillion evaporated uh, last week in the stock market. And that sounds like an immense amount of money. And 
I don't want to go into the, all the mechanics of how the stock market works and what that really means and the relevance of that $6 trillion evaporating. Uh, most of it is actually vaporware. If, if your money isn't in the stock market itself, then the meaning of that money to the companies is, is kind of odd. Uh, their stock their stock price and their overall valuation in stock is actually what they leverage to get credit to continue operations. So a, a drop in their stock price doesn't necessarily mean the company is going to all of a sudden be crippled or whatnot. Um, these things are taken into account. The last huge pandemic that we had, the swine flu, there was a big drop in the stock market and the stock market rose 40% over its starting value after the pan after the pandemic had cooled down now in this instance it's not because there's a pandemic that people are, are scared it's because the consequences of that pandemic have already started on the supply chain that covers the globe and the one of the key places of that supply chain is the the Wubei province in China where this is centered, which has been completely isolated. Uh, they showed videos of uh, Wuhan, which is the capital, and the streets are completely barren. There's no cars. There's no people. So manufacturing and everything has been shut down. So essentially, the crisis is really the response to the global su supply chain being crippled as it is in the moment and this exposes a lot of issues that we should all take note of and that is the dependence of the world economy on essentially a single province in a single country i mean th this is something we should all really kind of mull over a little bit and think about how how we want to choose our representation to tackle this kind of issue. And, and that's one place where the current administ administration has at least made some inroads into trying to figure out how to mitigate that kind of thing. Um, they obviously haven't come up with a perfect plan, but they've at least started some processes where to to make it clear our dependence and also how dangerous that dependence can be uh so again i wouldn't i wouldn't be too terribly concerned with the stock market crash at the moment it it doesn't have a real meaning outside of the le the company's ability to leverage um at the moment uh, and the, the companies are going to lose profits just because their supply chain is interrupted. So there could be a disruption in certain products in the United States. But this isn't like the 2008 financial crisis where literally people lost everything because they had overextended themselves in their house. They couldn't afford. All of a sudden they had mortgage payments that were two and three times their monthly salary. Uh, and they just instantly went bankrupt and a lot of fake wealth had been built up by the overvaluation of housing. And since that never existed in the first place, all that overvaluation disappeared overnight, hence the bubble, the bubble popped. And that was serious. That, had, that loss in capital 
had serious repercussions for every single person in America and actually across Europe and Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. So that was very significant. This is a different kind of significance uh, and it's one that should not terrify you at this point, even though it's it it sounds like like six trillion dollars evaporating in a week. Uh, it's kind of interesting actually if you think about it. But anyway, so these are the things you should be concerned about and not concerned about. And I just wanted to point out uh, whether you're a fan of this current administration or not, you you really have to be salient enough to be critical of the mixed messages from the administration like denying that the coronavirus exists saying that we're going to have a vaccine in a few months uh saying that the infection rate in the united states is going to go to zero in a week or two these are just not true statements and the unfortunate thing is for people who believe that they won't take any precautions whatsoever and particularly people who are most susceptible to these kind of statements are older Americans. They're the ones, and this is just through polling data, they're the ones that take what they hear from the administration at face value and do no, no extra research, and they live in a very, very isolated news bubble. And unfortunately, the people who are like that are very high-risk groups. So it is very dangerous. And we can see the consequences of that in China. The government did the exact same thing that the current administration is attempting to do but not doing it very well. And that's denying that this is a problem, that it's here, that it is a pandemic. Um, and I understand they're trying to assuage fears because the stock market dropped and they want the stock market to get a bump back up. But that's not going to happen because... The entire Wubei province is under quarantine. Well, mostly Wuhan, but the entire province is basically quarantined, which means companies are going to lose money and people aren't stupid. They know that's going to happen, so they tried to dump their stocks before those stocks hit took a hit. Now, on the plus side of that, if you have a lot of spare capital, now is the time to buy stocks. Uh, you will probably see a big return after this season of the coronavirus is over and that's happened multiple times historically uh, so there's a good chance that it can happen this time but i am not a financial advisor so you know take that advice at face value uh, again everybody should be concerned with this mixed messaging out of our government at the moment there is absolutely no reason that a pure politician which donald trump Mike Pence, they are politicians. They're not scientists. They're not epidemiologists. They're not vir virologists. They don't know any of this. They shouldn't be filtering the information and they should not be just guessing when they when they state things for the message to the, the public. That it's not good for anybody at all. And I think you have to maintain a certain amount of rationality to be able to judge your political party or your or your, your presidential choice harshly or even more harshly when they do something that is clearly and demonstrably wrong 
Um, this is, happened in South Africa. There's another good example of uh, Tabo and Becky uh, with the AIDS and HIV epidemic in South Africa when he was there. He refused to admit that it was a big problem, and he claimed that the antiviral medication was more dangerous than the disease, which just wasn't true. He just tried to deny it, and it caused a massive problem. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Pence also historically has this record. Uh, in the United States, there was a new form of Oxycontin, basically, that had a different kind of binder in it that didn't allow people to break up and snort Oxycontin anymore, which gave them a quicker high and a stronger high. They had to melt it down and essentially freebase it. Well, he just denied there was a problem and he refused because he denied there was a problem. He also refused to take anybody's suggestions on how they could stop the spread, the HIV breakout before it got too bad, which was to provide clean needles, free needles, which has been shown to use or has been shown to work all over the world. I mean, this is at least a tested strategy and I'm not saying that it is a solution to the problem that the solution comes later, but the first focus should be limiting the transmission of dangerous pathogens. And he just denied all of it happened in the state of Indiana, the state that I was born in, actually, uh, when Mike Pence was governor, had the, the largest HIV breakout in its history. Much, 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 much worse. Orders of magnitude worse than when we had the big scare in the 80s when HIV was terrifying to everybody. Uh, so we cannot just ignore this. Like it's something real and you don't have to do very much to make a huge, huge difference in this pandemic. It's not going to change. Life isn't going to change forever after this. I saw... Uh, political commentary show this weekend and I mean the host was so stricken with anxiety over the coronavirus I don't know how many times he said he said life will be forever different after this it won't be it doesn't have to be this is there's very simple things you you can do to avoid this this isn't like the Spanish flu the the end of the 1917 season and beginning of 1919 season when it resurged this isn't like the Spanish flu. Somewhere between 25 and 100 million people died from the Spanish flu. Uh, and this was in the early 20th century. So you can imagine it was pretty terrible. It was amazingly terrible. This is not that. Um, this is not the Ebola virus. The Ebola virus can have a mortality r risk of 90%, which means only 1 in 10 people who get it will survive. It's not that. This is something that we're going to make it through with no problem. It's already a pandemic, uh, no matter what the news says or no matter what uh, the CDC or the WHO says. It fits all the criteria of a pandemic. It's jumped from its original country. It's infected it's spread around multiple countries in the world, and it doesn't matter how it got there. And if you're wondering why they're, they've been hesitant to call it a pandemic is they have these very specific rules on, what, on when they'll classify something a pandemic. So even though it's all across the world now, it's in over 40 countries, and we have tens of thousands of infections uh, approaching, 
I mean, approaching 100,000 infections worldwide. The reason they're not calling it a pandemic is because they can trace back all the all the start of infections to somebody who brought it from an already infected area. And it, it it's like, it's a semantics thing. Or, well, I mean, it's just being pedantic. I mean, let's just face reality. It's in the United States. It's in, uh, I think, 10 or 15 states now. But... Again, it's not it's not something you should be panicked over. You should be you should be more panicked over the flu. Every year you should be more panicked over the flu. Last year, the flu in the United States killed 61,000 Americans. 61,000 and that was in the United States alone. Um, so take all this take all of this with the correct perspective. Uh, take simple precautions. I mean, it's not that hard to wash your hands. Uh, if you feel sick and you still are going to be out and about, that is the time to wear a surgical mask so that you can prevent spreading whatever you have to other people if you potentially have the coronavirus. And of if you feel sick at all, even if it could be allergies, avoid high-risk populations. And if you do become infected, you can... A, decrease the viral load in your own system and you can increase the efficacy of your immune system by being ketogenic or fasting if that's your thing. I would just stay away from carbohydrates because that's going, every time you ingest those, you're going to put your body into an anabolic state, which can help the replication process of the virus. So hopefully this helps everybody to calm down. I was I was just aghast at the panic that I saw everywhere over the weekend in the new U.S. news and social media cycles. I mean, it was almost insane to me, and I think people just need to have some perspective on what's really going on here and the real dangers, and the real dangers are to elderly populations, which... It's unfortunate that they're not as ambulatory in the U.S., but in this instance, it gives us the ability to help prevent the spread of a disease that's very dangerous to them from getting into their communities. So so I, I hope this helps everybody. I hope this helps everybody calm down. Uh, we'll get the links to the CDC and WHO statistics and all their information on mortality breakdown and, and all that good stuff on the, the, po- the previous podcast so that you can see that information for yourself. And most of those links are continually updated, so they'll have most of the current numbers on them. So I hope this makes everybody feel better. And again, there's nothing, I want to make sure people clearly understand that I'm not saying anything political in this podcast whatsoever. I did say I'm not a supporter of this current administration, but that doesn't mean anything really. Uh, There are people who weren't supporters of the Obama administration. Actually, I wasn't a supporter of that administration as well for a lot of reasons because there were a lot of things done that weren't reported on, unfortunately, that I think were really, really terrible policies. Um, And I I mean, basically, there's very few administrations I've ever been fully supportive of. Uh, just because of how our political structure works and most everybody's out for their seems like for their own political self-interest rather than for the interest of the United States and I and that's where I become the most I guess 
I feel the greatest need to say something when it is clear that an administration or a politician or a group of politicians or a body of the U.S. government is acting solely in their interest and not the interest of the U.S. public. And I think in this instance, we can see the Trump administration is trying to act like um, Xi Jinping's Chinese communist government in trying to suppress information to make themselves look as good as possible. This also happened in Chernobyl uh, when it was still the so when Ukraine was still part of the Soviet Union and uh, Russia tried to downplay the disaster at Chernobyl, which cost millions of lives that or and millions of sick people. So it really affected a lot of people when it didn't need to. It turned into a a much grander disaster than if they had just reported accurately to their own people what was going on. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important in instances like this when the public welfare is at stake. Uh, any politician and every politician should be acting only in the interest of the public that they have been charged with protecting. Uh, so this is one of those instances where normally I don't speak out politically um, because, I mean, po politics is the vocation of fools is, is what I've always, I, I can't remember some ancient philosopher, some old Greek philosopher said that and I have unfortunately been able to find out who it was, but I read it in one of their, their works and it's always stuck with me. Uh, so I usually don't talk about politics, but in this instance, there is a policy that is clearly antithetical to the welfare of the United States. And everything that I currently do in my life is to increase the welfare of everybody across the world. So whenever somebody clearly does not have the best interest of people in mind, I, like, I have to say something. Uh, and everybody should feel that way. So I think that's it. This this one ran much longer than I expected. This is a little bit ranty, but I also want to make clear: like I'm not judging anybody's political affiliations. Like I said, I have many friends that I've disagreed with several times over the year, over the past decade. I had friends that I had to argue over the previous administration, their policies, and what was wrong with them. And now I have a different group of friends where I argue about, argue with them about the policies of this administration. And, and actually previous friends as well, people who hate this administration, I still have arguments with them because they're ignoring some of the positive effects that have gone on. And there are some. Um, so th this is, this is just a way that I I actually think everybody should be inclined to act. Um, but as we become more and more tribal over the years and more and more separated and our inability to find common ground with even our fellow countrymen uh, is really disconcerting. And I don't want to contribute to that in any way and I will not participate in it in any way uh, other than talk about things factually and in a informative manner, you know, odds are there's a lot of things that a lot of people will never agree on, but that's no reason to 
hate them or to issue death threats or all of that other kind of stuff, or even to downplay some of the other information that they may be expert in. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things that's a very unfortunate aspect of society right now. But anyway, uh, that's pretty much everything I can say about the coronavirus, uh, how to try to prevent getting it, how to mitigate the effects if you do get it, and how to prevent the spread, uh, i.e. how to better contain it if you also do get it, so or if you feel any symptomology whatsoever. So again, um, it is a pandemic, uh, just like the swine flu was in 2009. 2009 swine flu was a pandemic, and again, when all was said and done, it was actually probably the safest flu virus that has ever been a pandemic. Uh, it had a very low mortality rate, and I believe... We will see the mortality risk of this COVID-19 fall over time and especially when everything's said and done and we can reassess the statistics of everything that's actually happened when we have reliable statistics. Again, a lot of this worst case scenario is still coming out of statistics from China, which unfortunately we don't have a lot of faith in at the moment. Um, there's not a lot of independent verification of any of this coming out of China. So it's really hard to say exactly how things are going to go. So that means it could be worse, but it doesn't appear to be that way thus far. In other areas where infection rates, they're not showing to be any more deadly than we already assume. So relax. Don't freak out. Wash your hands. Don't pick your nose. Like, I mean... Pretty much those are kind of things that I do every day anyway, and I assume most people do as well. Although it's surprising how often people will pick their nose if you uh, what if they don't think they're being watched. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So try not to pick your nose. Maybe maybe you do need to wear a surgical mask if you're really used to picking your nose and you just can't stop. The surgical mask at least will prevent you from from doing that. Um, and I will leave you with that with that closing thought of don't pick your nose uh, and everything should be fine. All right, until uh, we'll have regular podcasts soon, but I felt like, I mean, this is a really important topic and this won't be the last time this topic comes up. Uh, like I said, there was, there, was SARS, there was the avian flu, there was SARS, there was MERS, now there's COVID-19. There will be more pandemics. Uh, that's just the unfortunate state of the world that we live in. And this is a really good example of looking at the numbers, understanding the risks, understanding that yes, for most people it will be really mild and that's a bad thing because that can increase how fast and how far it spreads. Uh, so be aware of that. If you have any symptomology of anything, that's the time when you might want to wear a surgical mask or just stay home. Uh, there you have it. That's it. Um, Oh, I should mention traveling because some people asked about they're, they're going to be traveling and how, how they should avoid um, catching it. And it's the same thing. If you're in an airplane, even if you're in, the, in an airplane with somebody who has uh, the coronavirus, as far as we know, it's not airborne. There's been absolutely no evidence of it being airborne yet other than in the sneeze droplets of somebody who sneezes. So if somebody sneezes on you on the plane, you've got a serious problem.
otherwise, again, just w- keep your hands very clean. Before you get on the plane, wash your hands. Every time you have to go to the bathroom, wash your hands. If you're going to eat food, wash your hands. Like Really make every attempt possible to not touch any potential mucous membrane so like picking your nose rubbing your eyes sticking your hands in your mouth touching your food and eating it with your hands as much as you can avoid that you want you do want to be careful in those rare isolated situations where you're crammed into a population you're you're crammed into a scenario where you can't get away uh it's close proximity a lot of people are touching the same areas over and over again um again I, I wouldn't be too terribly concerned. Just be very cognizant. Maybe this is a time when um, having sanitary wipes might help so you can keep your hands clean. And you, I mean, in that instance, I, I wouldn't say anything. There's anything wrong with rubbing down the armrests and whatnot uh, in your seat as well because you just don't know. Um, but if somebody is sneezing and not covering their face, uh, I, I would actually talk to the flight attendant um, because that could be very dangerous in this scenario and that would be the way it would spread on something like an airplane is if somebody is sneezing and not covering their mouth or you know sneezing and using their hands and then wiping their hands on things uh, stuff like that um, that I I would be that I would probably ask a flight attendant uh, I would make some commentary to the flight attendant and they have every right to refuse that person to be to uh, take their flight um so there you have it uh that's pretty much all the information if you are traveling abroad um and you're in a country that has a high outbreak rate like italy right now it's one of those iran but i doubt many americans are going to be try. i doubt many people at all are going to be traveling to iran china i mean it's very hard to travel there right now but if you're in dense population centers then you know you want to be more cognizant of what's going on around you um and who might be sick and just like walk around them try to stay around them if somebody's sick at a in a restaurant or booth like go to a different restaurant uh stay away from the public markets which is unfortunate because sometimes they have the most amazing food you can find i mean there's this huge public market in budapest that i absolutely love there's like every type of local food there that you could find and it's all amazing but if i were in budapest right now i would not go um just just in case just like here uh in belgrade there's certain places just i mean i i don't really worry about it because serbia hasn't had any any cases yet um and actually, they don't have any markets similar to, say, Budapest or, or Marrakesh uh, or some of the markets in, in other large cities. So uh, those are the places you want to avoid if you travel. And uh, now I think that's it. We actually hit the hour mark. Uh, if you're still listening, congratulations to you. Uh, I hope you found this informative and feel free to ask questions uh, if, if you have concerns or questions about the, the coronavirus. Feel free to ask. Uh, this is one of those situations where I'll, I'll try to get responses of those. If you ask an email, I'll try to send email responses, Twitter, whatever. I'll try to get those responses out as quickly as possible so that uh, you don't have any lingering fears or any lingering anxiety. And um, 
That's all I can say. Like, don't panic. Like, I, it, what really bothers me the most is that we, the, I feel like I have to have this conversation because things have been amplified in a way that are, ter- that should be, that is intended to be terrifying. Um, and it shouldn't be. Uh, I, you should be more terrified of the flu. Every year, you should be more terrified of the flu. Um, you should be terrified of the measles. I mean, the measles killed the measles that we should be able to eliminate through vaccination killed a record 140,000 people worldwide last year. I mean, the measles can be extremely dangerous, but I don't remember any news reports on the outbreak of the measles in the United States, which the United States had been measles free for a few years until the anti-vaxxer movement. Um, and that's terrifying i mean measles if you're if your child gets measles yes there's a good chance they'll recover but there's also a very good chance that they'll have brain damage the rest of their life uh i mean the measles is serious uh and and for diseases like that the media did the complete opposite they gave anti-vaxxers airtime to make it seem fair and balanced and they cost lives several people died from vaccine from diseases that had been eradicated in the u.s through vaccines um over the last few years because of the anti-vaxxer movement uh and that's not in the media it's like uh, you know you should be terrified of measles because the u.s is having outbreaks again when it was eliminated uh you should be terrified of the flu like last year sixty-one thousand people died the year before that i think it was fifty-three thousand people died from the flu the flu is damn scary even though it has a mortality rate that's really low it's highly infectious so it spreads to a lot of people um i mean these are the things that the media should be talking about but they're not as sensational as a new novel virus that we don't know anything about so it's easier to terrify everybody with it uh so don't be terrified um like i said any questions feel free to ask and I'll try to dissuade any fears or anxiety as quickly as I can. Or if you have a legitimate concern, then I, you know, I'm not going to downplay legitimate concerns. I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. If it's a legitimate concern, I will tell you. And I'll give you the best information I have on how to address your concern. Um, so, yeah, the only horse I have in this race is your health and well-being. And, uh, again... This is one of the few places anywhere where you can get this. I mean, this is a, a very rare kind of news-ish episode because I have no advertising. I have no upside to doing this. I'm not looking for views or on YouTube. Uh, I, and that's why the coronavirus went viral on YouTube because it got people a lot of clicks and more clicks is more advertising dollars for those individuals. Uh, otherwise... You know, basically all those videos did was add a lot of confusion out there to the confusion that's already running rampant. So there we go. You know, there's my disclosure about uh, any conflicts of interest that I might have, which in this instance, in most instances, are completely zero. My conflict of interest is making sure that people stay healthy and that there's no false narrative being projected that is going to cause people massive anxiety and fear which can also have health consequences and can cause poor decision making Uh, so 
there you go. Uh, good luck. And uh, hopefully people don't have a lot of questions because that'll mean that I covered things very thoroughly on here. Um, but otherwise, I don't know how many times I'm going to say this, but don't panic. Just take the appropriate level of concern and wash your damn hands and get your finger out of your nose. All right. I think that's it.